One day, a Christian and a communist are sitting on a park bench watching the world go by, and as they watch people walk by them, they saw a poor, drunken beggar is uh, kind of stumbling past them and dressed in tatters and rags. And the communist said to the Christian as he sits there and looking at him, he points to the beggar and says, communism could put a new suit on that man. And the Christian responds to him, maybe so, but Jesus Christ could put a new man in that suit. That's what we need, isn't it? Uh, we need more than just external beautification. We need internal transformation. And that's what we're after uh, whenever we come to the before the Word here at our church. We're all familiar in that vein. We're all familiar with the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Now, commandments are important. There's, <coughs> there's no doubt they're there for a reason in Scripture. But one thing we realize uh, and need to realize, especially in light of our message today, is that uh, the commandments are the foundation on which we built a life of greatness. Jesus took it much further than the thou shalt nots of the Bible. See, if you're sitting here today and if you're thinking, well, so far today, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm in pretty good shape. Well, Jesus, in this passage we're about to read, smashes that to smithereens. Let's read together if we can, Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse number 21. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. And come and offer thy gift. Now go to verse number 38. And we'll conclude the chapter. <coughs> Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at, law, at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise the evil and the good, to sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do ye not even, as the publican, do not even the publicans the same? Now think, consider that question. If you love them which love you, he says anybody can do that. Even the wicked do that. Verse 47, and if you salute your brother only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans do that. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Okay, today we are going to tackle this subject, loving unlovely people. Loving unlovely people. Father, I pray you'd help us 
as I mentioned before, I really believe that every single one of us need this message today. Maybe on different levels, but certainly every one of us can make improvements in this area. May you speak to hearts individually, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this chapter, this by the way is the Sermon on the Mount, but in this chapter specifically we have the ye have heard but I say unto you quotes that Jesus gives. And there's a number of them. Uh, Jesus points out at the same time that a commandment forbids something, it also orders the opposite. That's what Jesus... Let me just lay this out, out, just to give me a little bit of understanding too. The Old Testament is about laws. The New Testament is about principles. And if we look at it that way, it'll help us because the Old Testament you read, I mean, it's all about thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt this, thou shalt not this. And in the New Testament, Jesus expands those to not only deal with certain issues, but to make a principle out of it. That's the idea of you have heard, but I say unto you. So he, he uh, on the one hand, you see the command, have no other gods before me. What then does that mean? Well, that means that God should be the first priority in your life. There's a positive to the negative. Uh, if the negative is there, the positive is implied. Now, religion is all about the negatives, and relationship is all about the positives. I hope you see the difference in this today. By the way, this is an issue that many people take about coming to Christ, and I've talked to them, and if you witness to people, you've heard the same thing. If I become a Christian, there's a lot i got to give up. And people focus on the thou shalt nots, and they look at that. Uh, if the if I get saved, I can't do this, I can't do that, and all the life that I'm used to is a great Sunday school lesson this morning given by Brother Wes and, and some of his testimony about when he got saved, things changed. All of a sudden, some things don't fly anymore in your life. And so people consider that and what they have to give up. What a way to look at a relationship. My wife and I got married young. I wanted to raise her the way that I wanted her. So I, it, you know, and probably her the same. Uh, but uh, I remember lots of input when we were dating and got engaged. We were, we were young. You'll lose your freedom, some people told me, especially guys I worked with. Uh, you're, you won't get to date around. You won't get to experience and sow your wild oats. All these things you can't do, but... Can I tell you, at that time, I wasn't thinking about the thou shalt nots. I wasn't thinking about what I would lose. I was think getting the opportunity to do life with a great lady, have a family, enjoy the benefits of marriage, have a partner for my life, and I wasn't looking at all the things that I would have to give up because when you're entering a relationship, you don't look at that, you look at the positives. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Anytime you focus only on the negatives of going into a relationship, you're not going to have a very good relationship. I can just tell you that right now. The same happens with your relationship with God. Jesus says, yes, thou shalt not kill. That means human life must not be destroyed. That's a given. We understand that, that it says thou shalt not kill, then you can't go out and, you know, next time somebody cuts in line in front of you or next time somebody insults you, you can't just shoot them. Okay, that's, that's the idea here, thou shalt not kill. We get that. But that means the opposite also being demanded here. If you, that you have to live a life of love and of forgiveness. In this vein, he puts forth the most radical idea of love that we read here. We call it, turn the other cheek. Uh, if someone slaps you on one cheek, 
turn to him the other also. That's an issue we're going to discuss today. That and the idea of loving your enemies. Now, Christianity is not just a religion. Christianity is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly, what Christianity really is, it's a series of interconnected, uh, radically altered relationships. This passage shows us how they are interconnected. It works like this. A Christian uh, is someone who has come into a new relationship with God, and that because of that relationship he has with God, that creates a new relationship that he has now with himself, understanding who we are, understanding who we are not. Amen? And because of that relationship to our the, this new attitude towards yourself, this now results in a new and different relationship to the world and people around you. It's all interconnected. So a new relationship with God creates a new relationship with yourself, creates a new relationship with those around you. It's a package. It comes together. Now, there's an alternative action we can take. The human action, the human nature. Retaliation. Don't you love that word? Retaliation. This is the natural response that self-love gives us at the attack of an enemy. As long as a man is governed by self-love, he is always going to be governed by a spirit of retaliation. This always expresses itself in some form of revenge. The natural man justifies the spirit of revenge. He feels no obligation uh, to be good to those who have been unkind to him. He acknowledges, listen carefully, as men always have acknowledged, that it is evil to be unkind to those who are kind to you. Right? We get that. Somebody's nice to you, then we'd be nice to them. We, we all understand if somebody is... Uh, does something kind for you, you don't just slap them away. Years ago, I was getting uh, get gas after work one night and uh, pumping gas, and I noticed on the ground uh, just at the stall right next to me was a wallet laying there. And it was a lady's wallet, long, full of cards. And, and uh, I unzipped it, and I saw that uh, it was full of cash, credit cards. There's all kinds of stuff in there. And it was one of those wallets that also had a checkbook in it. And in the checkbook, there was a phone number. And so, uh, of course, the name of the lady was obvious. The I, driver's license was there and everything. And so when, I, uh, when I, I, I called that number and I asked if she has been at Speedway down on Lansing Road in the last few minutes and I have found your wallet. Oh, okay. So we agreed to meet at a grocery store that uh, was close to my house. And so I went. And I sat at this grocery store. I told her what I was driving. And I sat there for probably about 20 minutes waiting and waiting on this lady to show up. Finally, she showed up. Uh, she had told me what she's driving. So she pulled up on the car behind, beside me. I uh, rolled down my window. I handed her out her wallet. And she took it and drove off. Didn't say thank you. Didn't say anything to me at all. Just snatched and drove off. It's like, man, I should have cleaned that wallet out after that. Now, we can all agree that's rude, amen? I went out of my way, I called her, I gave her the, I, I waited there for her, and it was just a psh and go. And uh, we, because we all understand at the core of our being, if somebody's nice to us, we'd be nice to them. We all agree with that. And if, and if somebody's mean to us, then it is just natural for us to be evil back to them, to be mean back to them. And so this is at best expressed, in the common saying, revenge is sweet. 
A man will follow another one for years at great expense for some real or imagined insult to get even with him. It's a sad situation, but it happens all the time. Now, it has to be acknowledged today, and we need to do this because uh, otherwise we can't get better. We have to acknowledge that tendency within us to revenge other people. It exists in all of us until it is driven out. It's not going to, it's not something that comes in because of somebody. It, it's built within us. That's who we are, okay? Unless it is driven out, then it's going to be, this idea of revenge is going to be within us to some degree. We all have these tendencies. There's a ladies' conference, and uh, the lady was lecturing on marriage. And so she asked the audience of ladies, uh, there's no men, there was all just the ladies there, and so she was talking about marriage, and she asked the audience, and uh, how, she was talking about, uh, you know, the right type of relationships, and said, how many of you want to mother your husbands? Only one lady raised her hand in the back. She says, seriously? You want to mother your husband? And she says, oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought you said smother. Uh, every... Every person feels it, it is natural for him to love his friends and for him to hate his enemies. That's a natural thing. The problem is that this form of living only yields more misery and frustration. It'll never bring satisfaction to hate someone or to spend your life uh, uh, having ill feeling toward anyone. And so it's well been said, when you're seeking revenge it is best for you to dig two graves, one for them and one for you. Because really, that's what you're doing. You're hurting two people. Uh, our text deals here and represents the struggle between the natural mind and the spiritual mind. Now, we all deal with this on some level, as I mentioned. Nobody is exempt here today. It is one of our strongest human drives, self-preservation, self-protection, vindication. Oh, don't we love vindication? I'm serious. I, somebody does me evil, I love to see them vindicated, or see myself vindicated, or my family, or my church, or whatever. I love to see vindication. I got news for you, friend. It doesn't happen very often. Sometimes we'll go through this whole life and never see vindication, and you know what? We better be okay with that. Vindication isn't ours. Revenge isn't ours. But naturally speaking, that's what we want. Self-preservation, self-protection, vindication, revenge. But Jesus has a better way. The idea that the best revenge is to be unlike him who performed the injury to you. That's really the best revenge. You see, and, and listen to this statement. I'll make this several times today. The weak, the weak do not forgive. Because it takes strength. Only the, This is an attribute of the strong. To love enemies, to be kind to those who are kind to us, to be uh, forgiving, that is an attribute of the strong, not the weak. All right, so the, uh, the, today, that's an attribute we want to attain. This morning, I want to look at two people, or two groups of people, uh, just two points to this message. Uh, yourself is the first one. Let's look at yourself. Look at verse number 21. You have heard that it was said of them old time, thou shalt not kill Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, 
<coughs> real Christian love starts on the inside with a heart that does not look down on other people. That's Christian love, looks at our, uh, each other equally. Now, in this passage and in this message, we're going to do a little spiritual surgery. I really believe this. I thought about this statement. I don't like to just throw out willy-nilly statements. I thought about this next statement that I'm going to make, and I really believe it with all my heart. If you can read these verses, you can hear this message, and walk away unscathed, I don't think you're being honest with yourself. Because these are, these are, this is perhaps one, of, we read this and we think, oh, how nice, this is such a nice bad. This is perhaps one of the most difficult things to live in the Christian life. Loving our enemies. Treating good to those that hurt us, treating them good. Returning good for evil. Of all the directives in the Christian life, this is hard, this is probably the most uh, difficult to live. So let's be honest with ourselves. There's nobody here but us this morning, so we can be honest with ourselves and let the surgeon do his work. Look at what Jesus says first. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Now, Jesus is not necessarily quoting the Ten Commandments here in out of uh, Exodus chapter 20 and 21 because what he says, usually when he's quoting Scripture, he always says, it is written. But here he doesn't say it is written. He says, you have heard. And so what he's really talking about here, I believe, is what the teachers were saying about the law. He's referring to the general outlook of society here. This is what you hear. This is what you think. This is what you believe. You have heard it was said. He's talking about what the teachers are saying. The teachers are saying very simply, if you don't physically kill someone, you won't be judged. You're not going to see judgment. If you do physically kill someone, you're going to be subject to judgment. But Jesus says, no, no, no. The implication of the law, thou shalt not kill, is this. Anyone who is angry with his brother is guilty. Well, that changes things, doesn't it? What if we just went to? We've went from law to principle. That's what I said before. The Old Testament's all about laws. New Testament is about principle. So, the word anger Jesus uses here is a word that means to swell up. It's talking about a slow burn, a dislike, a distaste. You've probably experienced this even in your life. It starts out as dislike. I don't like the way she looked at me. I don't like the way they treated me tonight. It starts as a dislike and then it grows. It becomes distaste. I can't stand the way he acts. I'm better than she is. Then it becomes resentment. I hate him. I detest her. Then it becomes bitterness. I'll never be happy as long as they're around. I'll never be able to enjoy my life while they're enjoying theirs. Uh, I'm talking about here a slow burn. He's not talking so much about a temper flare, although that's wrong too, but he's talking about this slow burn inside that leads to anger and hatred of another brother or sister in Christ. Anyone who allows this to happen within them is guilty, the Bible says, of murder. Whew. Pretty strong stuff. Then he goes a little further. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka. One who says Raka is conveying the idea of scorn, contempt, disdain for another person. Uh, the word Raka means senseless and empty-headed man. I'm thinking of a president. I'm not going to tell you what country, okay? But uh, we'll move on. Raka is saying to another person, you are nothing. Now, that's not a common put-down. 
You don't hear this in the playground. You are nothing. I know you are, but what am I? That's not something we normally hear. Uh, but I don't think Jesus is talking so much here about a slur or an insult. What Jesus is pointing to is treating other people as non-persons. When you treat people as inconsequential. In other words, thinking that you are better than someone else. Turning your nose up at someone less fortunate. Discriminating against someone for how God made them. Treating those who, who serve you with disdain. You ever seen a waitress get treated like garbage? It grinds me wrong. That's what this is. Raka. I'm talking about with word or action, when you make someone feel like nobody, you're saying raka to them. That's what he's referring to here. Saying to people what the triangle said to the circle. You're pointless. Just seeing if you're with me still. We have a, these occasional little wake-up barbs just to make sure you're still paying attention, okay? The last thing that Jesus points out is, but whosoever shall say, thou fool. Now, Jesus, the language Jesus spoke in everyday life is Aramaic. And raka is an Aramaic word. And uh, so they, they just kind of carried that word over. But when, they, uh, when they, this word fool that we have here is from a Greek word, moros, we get our word. What do you think? moron from that word okay have you ever yelled out you moron you're probably thinking when did pastor see me drive okay that's what we usually do use that that situation now jesus says you're guilty of hell fire when you call somebody a moron think about that for a second i didn't say it he did thou fool what jesus is trying to get across is about the, is the sin that is so wicked, and that is the sin of scorn. Feeling you are superior to others. Looking down your nose, I am more important than you. You are less important than me. That's the problem. Jesus says it all starts there. It, uh, the, the, that's what leads to a lack of love is scorn. That's what leads to murder. It all comes from a baseline of pride which destroys love. That's why the Bible defines love as counting your own needs as less important than somebody else's. That's what love is. Love counts somebody's needs, their interests, their comforts as more important than your needs and interests and comforts. In the area of needs, someone else is actually more important than you. See, that's the opposite of pride. Pride puts you at the top. When you're a proud person, you're the one who's the most important. You're the one that you cater to in your life, and you want everybody else around you to cater to as well. Love puts others above you. Pride puts you above others. So if you look down your nose at people, scorning them, if you say, you are below me, then that destroys your ability to love. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Why does it say that? Because, friends, it absolutely can't do that. Because love is not proud. It can't be. They're mutually exclusive. They cannot live together. You, a, the, a proud person is unable to love as he should. So if you look down on people as less important than you, Jesus says it destroys your ability to love. Now, here's where we get to the crux of the matter. One of the main differences between a real Christian and someone who's just religion, religious a Christian understands the inwardness of sin. That's what makes one of the big differences between religion 
and Christianity. This is what Jesus is trying to illustrate here. Look, he's saying, what is a murderer? Is a murderer just someone who takes out a, Jesus wouldn't refer to a gun, maybe a sword at that time, okay? Is it somebody who just takes a weapon and kills another person? Now, what's the difference between a murderer and a hateful or angry person? And then he really brings it down. What's the difference between a murderer and you, he asks. The difference is it's, it's all relative. Imagine anger for someone growing into resentment, into hatred, and finally grows into murder. Think about an acorn. The whole tree is in the acorn. It's all there. Now, if the acorn just sits in my palm without the proper soil, without the proper moisture, without the proper conditions, it'll never move from being an acorn. It'll always just stay inert as it is. But under the right conditions, under the right watering and under the right soil, then it'll grow into the giant oak. So this, uh, the, uh, if it's put in the right situation, it's all there. So what is the difference, Jesus says, between you and a murderer? A Christian understands the inwardness of sins, of their sin. So you might say, oh, you know what I do? I obey the Ten Commandments. I listen to the commands the Bible says. I'm a good person. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't rape. I haven't killed anybody. But hey, friend, any religious person can say that. Any unsaved lost person that's moral can say that. So a Christian, though, is somebody who says, oh, man, I see my self-centeredness. I see my pride. I see how I have offended God. I see how that eats up love. I see it. And this is how we come to salvation, by the way, realizing that our sinfulness is an inward condition. If our sin was only a behavioral problem, then new behavior could fix it. But religion has shown for thousands of years that can't work. Again, a Christian understands the inwardness of sin. You see, when we understand that in God's eyes there are no high-class people, there are no low-class people. There are just people, just people in need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to understand, and, and I say this before you today, and we all need to be able to say, I am no better than anyone else. No better. I, I've accomplished more than some. I've accomplished less than a bunch of others. But as far as as, as my standing as a human being, I'm no better than anybody else. Let me illustrate this. Uh, if I can this morning in a really kind of a silly, simple way, but it might help us to just get this into our minds. I'm going to use for my illustration the world's best snack, Oreo. And I use the thins because I like to be thin. Amen? No, really. Regular Oreos are regular Oreos, but Oreo thins are diet Oreos. You can eat as many of these as you want with no danger. So that's why I like the thins. And uh, you are what you eat, right? Thins. All right. I'm going to use these today because this is kind of what we do in our life. We rank sins. So let's say gossip. That's four. Okay. And then uh, what's another one? Lying. Lying is bad, isn't it? Especially depends on who you lie to, but uh, lying is so bad. That would be six. Thins are hard to count. All right? Then what about, uh, you know, picking on pastor? Let's see. There's a whole row of them on that. There. One. Okay. 
All right, Brother West says one. We'll put one down. It's because he's the one who does most of it, the reason he says that. People always try to defend themselves, I'm telling you. You see it right in front of you. Um, a, you know, we could go with all kinds of it. It's cheating on your spouse. It'd be a big stat, wouldn't it? Um, we, can, we can talk about all kinds of different sins, but you get the point that I'm trying to make today. We rank them. Some sins are little. So, and, and then we rank ourselves as people, too. I'm a much better person. This person, that person is wicked. Got a lot of, he's got a lot of, his stack's high of sin. My stack is small of sin. And that we do this all day long. Uh, we, we, this is so natural for us to do, we don't even realize we're doing it. But we're constantly looking at others and comparing ourselves. We're constantly making ourselves feel better. It might be in just a, in a minuscule thought, you might not even consciously be doing it, but you start paying attention to your thoughts every day and you'll understand we constantly are comparing ourselves to others and feeling better about me because of somebody else's problem. Here's the difference, though. You might, from your angle there, be seeing different size stacks here, but may we just, for purpose of illustration, look at this stack from God's point of view? And when I look at it from this point of view, it all looks pretty much the same. It's just, they're just delicious looking <laughs> Oreo thins. See, God doesn't look at the things the same as we do. God doesn't look at people the same way that we look at people. Uh, how, when God sees you, he doesn't see a great deal of difference with another person. He, he looks at you, and then he looks at the bum and skid row, and he doesn't see that big of a difference when it comes to the human condition. Let me read you a verse here. This is a devastating verse. Psalm 53, 2. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and did seek after God. Every one of them is gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We're so far short of the standards that God sets for us that it is absolutely foolish for us to look at somebody else and think, oh yeah, I'm a pretty good person compared to them. Stop comparing yourself to them and start comparing yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't look so good anymore. None of us will then. So what is the answer? Galatians 5.14 For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You say, preacher, you don't know my neighbor. <laughs> well, can I, can I encourage you in this area here? I don't know your neighbor. But let's turn it around for a second. You, you know you. You know you better than anybody else does. In fact, you know you better than your mate knows you. You know your secret sinful desires you know the things you've done that nobody knows. You know the thoughts that you have that you would never say out loud. You know the things you've seen and done that would embarrass you if everybody would find. You know all those things. And yet you still love yourself. That's not a problem. Why? Because we're so forgiving. We are our own most forgiving critics. We, we can do whatever and we still love ourselves for it, despite of it. Pastor Forsberg, after he came here, he's preaching out today, and, and uh, so he's not here with us this morning. But when he first came, 
we had many, we still have many conversations. One of the things he's uh, given me is just some advice uh, once in a while that I think is gold, and he might have done the same for some of you already, is the 10% rule. He always talks about the 10% rule. So if somebody bothers you or somebody annoys you, give them 10%. Give them a pass on 10% of their character or 10%. Of, just just uh, put up with some of it. You know, they're not, not very, very, very few of us are perfect. That's all I'm going to say, okay? And so we meet other people and you, you have to deal with certain negatives in their character. And we, we have a heart. So that's why we move from person to person. Here's the deal with ourselves. We allow ourselves 90%. We don't allow anybody else anything else. And so we love ourselves despite all that we know about ourselves, but our neighbor's got to earn it. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. Why not look past the faults of your neighbor? Now, the question is, does anybody really love their neighbor as themselves? This is a very high and lofty ideal. Let me illustrate it this way and see if we can <coughs> put yourself in a situation. Imagine this scenario with me. You are driving home from work or the store. And as you get several miles from your home, you see a lot of black smoke billowing up into the sky, almost as if a, something big was on fire. And you don't think much of it at first until you... As you come in home more and more, it seems like it's kind of in the area in which you live. Your heart starts racing. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't let it be. Don't let it be. Lord, please don't let it be. Don't let it be. And as you get closer and closer, you see it is right in the area of where you live. And soon speed limits are forgotten as you stomp on the gas. You careen around corners as you're trying to uh, get to your house as fast as you possibly can. Now uh, you continue to see the smoke coming up and you continue to see the uh, smoke billowing into the sky. And as you come around the corner of the last turn in the view of your house, you can come to a stop and you think, whew, that was close. It is my house. It's not my neighbor's. Would any of us do that? No, because we don't love our neighbor like we love ourselves. It's, it's, it's an unnatural thing to ask. It's a very lofty thing to ask, and yet Jesus says that's what you ought to be aiming for. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't th that's why I'm saying I don't think any of us have ever really attained it yet. I think every one of us can improve in this area. Loving our neighbors as ourselves. Now, we won't go into the whole idea of who is your neighbor. The Pharisees asked that to Jesus, and Jesus demonstrated to them, a neighbor is anybody you meet. <laughs> it can be, he gave a, a story of a guy from a different culture, meeting a guy from a different city, a different state, different country, different culture, different race, and everything, and, and he was his neighbor. So, we're, neighbor, we're neighbors to whoever comes across our path. But this is a high ideal, and unless we come to understand the seeds of the worst sins lie in our own hearts, unless we realize that we're not that different than the people around us, until we re recognize the fact that through Christ we are undeserving but forgiven, we'll never be able to live the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. Jesus then says in verse 39, here we come to the another difficult verse, Whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, 
turn to him the other also. Now, you know my affinity for object lessons, so I was needing some guy up here that I can slap around a little bit. Uh, wives, who would uh, volunteer their husbands, okay? All right, we've had several. That's terrible. All right, we're preaching a different message next week along that line. Uh, we, we won't slap anybody. But I think most people misunderstand this. Does Jesus mean that we're supposed to let people walk all over us? Does it mean somebody bullying you, you just, you know, keep beating up on me? I don't think that's what this is at all. Jesus doesn't teach that, nor does Paul. Do you remember when Paul, who was a Roman citizen, was jailed without a trial, which was illegal, and he called him, he called him out on it. He lodged a complaint. He did something about it. He appealed to Caesar. Do you know when Jesus was slapped in the face <coughs> during his trial, which was illegal, he called him out on it. He lodged a protest. Now, we are supposed to stand for justice. Uh, we, we are supposed to stand for right. What is he talking about here then? Look at verse 38 when he says, You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was a rule of thumb for civil suits. Israel had laws to protect their personal property and to give them personal protection. We have laws like that as well. That's what keeps a society safe. And so, uh, by the way, none of these things throughout this whole chapter are uh, verses about political pacifism. It drives me crazy because I have a lot of family uh, that come out of the Amish that believe in pacifism. And this is not at all anything about pacifism. It'd be great if the whole world was pacifist. That's the only way it would ever work. Uh, but uh, we, we wouldn't have a, need, a, need an army. We wouldn't need to ever have war. But as long as there's people in the world that do ethnic cleansing, uh, that they put airplanes into buildings and cut off heads of journalists, we need an army, amen? And we need somebody to defend us and praise God for those that do. I love the quote by David Limbaugh, pacifism in the face of war is not only irresponsible, it is immoral. Refusing to meet force with force in the name of peace will beget not peace but further death and destruction, the very violence that pacifists seek to avoid. End quote. I believe that's absolutely true. So Jesus says, as important as this is for building a society on that, it is not the law for your relationships. So he says, when you're slapped on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Now, being slapped on the cheek does not mean someone's trying to beat you up unless they're really bad at it. Uh, you don't slap someone on the cheek when you're trying to really, really put them out and to hurt them, you punch them in the mouth. All right, you shoot them. You do something like that. Uh, a slap on the cheek, it, cheek is indicative of an insult. That's where you are giving somebody a. If, if a man was to slap another man in the cheek, that would be a big insult. And uh, Jesus, I believe here, is basically saying if somebody insults you, there are times that we take the insult, especially when the kingdom of God is at stake. Can I give you an example of that? When Jesus was smacked in the face, he had the power at his command to throw his attacker directly into hellfire right then and right there. But he did not. He had sublime restraint, and he contented himself with a mild reproach, John 18. The idea is not that we always passively suffer the assault of an assassin or the bully or the thief, but when the interests of Christ's kingdom uh, demand that we turn the other cheek, then we should turn the other cheek. We're so quick to defend ourselves at the slightest provocation. We're so quick to get upset easily. How dare you do that? 
Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who you are? A Christian is someone who, yes, they seek justice, but they're quick to forgive personal offenses. It comes up again in verse 40. If any man take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. This does not mean when somebody steals your wallet and they're running off, you say, wait, hey, wait, 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 you forgot my money roll. That's not what that's talking about. Okay, what it's talking about here is that uh, the, the idea that you're always ready to turn the other cheek, he talks about going the second mile, you give them your tunic, you're never closing a door on a relationship. You're always ready to say, I'm going to give you another chance to make it right. Hey, you wronged me, but I want restoration. I want to make this right. When somebody wrongs you, there's a Christian approach to it, and there's a non-Christian approach to it. The non-Christian is whatever feels right, natural. Hatred, bitterness, cutting them off, shutting them out, blocking them on Facebook. Those horrible things like that. That's the non-Christian approach. The Christian approach is leaving the door open for restoration. That leads us to a reoriented relationship to the second point, other people. Look at verse number 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. This is my human side, my humanity, my human nature speaking. But if there was one verse I could take out of the Bible, I think this might be it. This might be high in the running. Love my enemies. Bless. Just take a minute here. Don't fly over these words. Somebody is cussing you out. You got to bless them. Do good to them that hate you. That means if somebody, you're, you're at work with somebody, they punch you in the face, and they steal from you, they backbite you, they just are nasty, nasty, nasty. They do everything to hurt you, and you're on the way home from work, and they're on the side of the road with a flat tire. You know what you want to do. (laughs) Honk the horn and wave at them. But we're to stop and help them. We're to do good to those that despitefully use us. This is, this is heavy duty stuff here, folks. This is hard. Let's be honest. Who wants to do this? I don't. I don't, I don't enjoy this at all. And by the way, we would look at this and say this sounds incredibly impractical because if you love people like this and forgive them constantly, they're going to walk all over you. Well, we've already discussed that. Christians don't let people walk all over them. But we might also say the claim is impractical to keep your heart open and keep forgiving people. But I say a godly person will forgive because you know in your heart that you were an enemy too. You have been (coughs) wicked as well. We have done things wrong too. So if I decide that I'm going to hold a grudge, how in the wide world do I expect God to forgive me? If I can't forgive someone their three sins against me, how do I expect God to forgive my 3,000 against him? We don't think that way because we are forgiving critics of El Mua. You know what I'm saying? We take real forgiving of ourselves. We don't think about that as much as we do others. Why do I think of myself so important? I'm a sinner saved by grace. That takes away the need for vengeance. I'll tell you what's impractical. 
it is impractical to spend all your life pulling yourself in a tight circle so you won't be hurt, shutting out other people. Uh, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis, if you want to keep your heart intact, you must give it to no one. Wrap it around carefully with hobbies and luxuries. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. In other words, what he's saying is if you want to keep your life from being disrupted, be selfish. Put your heart in a lockbox. Don't do anything for God. My soul, don't do anything at church. That's just rife for criticism there, isn't it? Don't invest in anybody. Don't care about anybody. In other words, don't love, don't hope, don't work, don't sacrifice. Stay selfish. Do all that and you'll, you'll be left alone. You'll live a tranquil life. Not to mention you'll be pretty miserable too. You tell me, is it impractical to turn the other cheek? I, I believe, friend, it's impractical not to turn the other cheek because of what it does to you. What kind of person it creates. The only way you'll turn the other cheek is if you have the right attitude towards yourself that enables you to love and give of yourself to other people. It creates a servant's heart. You were an enemy. I was an enemy. We deserved God's punishment. He could have and He should have punished us, yet He sent Jesus Christ to take our punishment. That and only that gives us the right self-image that changes our heart's attitude toward people. The gospel is a very simple thing. Jesus Christ has looked into your heart and soul. There are things in your heart that you wouldn't want anyone else in this room to ever know. He saw that and a thousand other things. He gave Himself for you despite all that. If you receive Him as Savior, all those things will be wiped away. Just think of it. Think of it. All those things wiped away. Does that not move you? Does that not make you feel just a little obligated? So then if you'll be able to, uh, if you have all that taken away and all that forgiven, and somebody slaps you on the cheek, we can't take the insult for the Lord. He took it for us. When it comes to the kingdom of Christ, why do we become so defensive of ourselves? We take the focus when it should be on the Lord and we put it on ourselves. Make sure people are treating me right. Make sure everybody is uh, talking to me the way they should. It's just amazing to me how self-centered we can become. If that doesn't move you and you reject it, then I apply the line Jesus said, what do you more than others? It's just like the world, just like anybody. Are you gracious to people? Are you willing to take an offense? Are you willing to love on those who misuse you? This is hard, folks. By the way, again I say, this is not for the weak. <laughs> the weak just follow their passions. Hatred, bitterness, anger. All you got to do is... Spend a little time on Twitter. Don't spend any time on Twitter, but that's all you would have to do. And see people spouting off all kinds of vitriol. It takes someone with character. It takes someone with the love of Christ in them. It takes someone serious about being a Christian to love an enemy. To do good to those who are despitefully using us. That takes, that takes a little work. And it's not for the weak. But we're not wanting to be weak. 
We're wanting to be strong and victorious, the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham Lincoln said, Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? That's a Christian way of looking at it, isn't it? You never know what some love and kindness can do. Now here, let me give you a warning. Because I've been there and maybe you have too. Sometimes love and kindness doesn't cut it. Sometimes they still hate you. Sometimes, like the Bible says, it heaps coals of fire on their head and they get even madder when you do good for do good things for them. Sometimes it even upsets them more. But we're not doing it solely for that person. We're doing it for the Lord and we are benefiting. Because if you allow yourself to be full of bitterness, friend, that's like drinking poison, hoping to hurt somebody else, it's going to destroy you. If you allow yourself to be filled with anger, it will hurt you more than it will hurt the person you're angry at. And so, uh, if we, that's why I'm saying it, it is practical to do it God's way. It is absolutely practical. It's the best idea because it gives us freedom. There is tremendous freedom in forgiveness and loving those who despitefully use us. Can I encourage you just to give that person to God? Let God be your avenger. Don't worry about vindication. Don't even seek it. It may never come. Just give it to the Lord and move on for Him. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Uh, do good to those that despitefully use you. Very, very high ideals. Ideals every one of us need to grow in in our Christian life. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. We talked about several things today. And again, I'm not trying to just flood an altar, but I just, just to say, I think if we were really honest with ourselves, we could probably, every single one of us in this room, come to the altar today. Because we all need to grow in this area. We're all so, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we are so viciously selfish, self-centered, self-protective. We're not focused outwardly on others, especially not on enemies. That's the last thing we want to show kindness to, but Jesus Christ, He did. We were His enemies. He gave Himself for us. We did nothing good to Him, and He still gave His life for us. While they were pounding the nails into His hands, He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The most supreme example of doing kind things to those that hurt you. As she begins to play, would you please just stand along with me, heads bowed, eyes closed, and 